John of All Trades Podcast, episode 333. How about that? I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, man, someone I just adore talking to. Now, I know that's true of many of the other 300 shows that I've done here, but this guy, I have just an easy rapport with. And every time we get together, it's like we're old friends just reconnecting. We fall into a very easy rhythm. It's fun. We share laughs. We share insights. We talk about real things. He's a great dude, and his name is Ryan Estes. Now, I can't remember exactly how I got in touch with Ryan the first time, but I do know that I was a guest on his show, Talk Launch, and Talk Launch was a great, great podcast. He talked with founders and CEOs, people who were creating things, and just having conversations with them. And on this week's show, we get into his interview technique, which This is a conversation after my own heart, because to get a good interview out of someone, it's not just sitting down and talking with them. I mean, that's part of it. That's the appearance of what you want. But there are some things you do as host that go into making a really good show. Ryan has great insight into that. We talk about his evolution through music and into podcasting. We're both old as hell here. So we talk about the ways in which we were consuming podcasts in the early going For those of you who are younger than, say, 40 years old, this is going to seem like me and Ryan are 100 years old or maybe more. It's amusing stuff. It's great. And, of course, we talk about his company, KitCaster. KitCaster is a podcast booking agency. So if you're looking to get on podcasts, you go sign up with KitCaster, you work with an agent, they figure out what your story is, and then they start pitching you out to shows just like this one, and you start doing the podcast tour. It's really fun. I've had guests come from KitCaster. It's a very easy experience. There's always great content. And my God, he is growing at an incredible rate. You should see how many employees he has. That's something I've never done. I've never scaled something up to where I'm responsible for someone's rent, let alone multiple people's rent. So just a fascinating guy, a great dude. This is a terrific conversation. I looked at the clock and I go, man, how have we been talking for an hour? I cannot believe that. Yet, we were. It was easy going. I think it'll translate here. You'll love it. So, a couple of quick plugs for me. As you know, I'm on Podcatchers Everywhere. So, that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, Audible, iHeartRadio. Wherever you get your pods, I'm there. So, if you're listening to this, you enjoy the show, take a second, leave us a review. Click that five stars if that's what you think the show deserves. I certainly do. I work really hard on it. Hope you do, too. If you have a couple more seconds... And there's the capability to leave a review. Love it if you did that. Just a couple of quick sentences about what you like about the show. That helps the visibility on this platform. And as long as you're there, hit subscribe. Brand new episodes come directly to you. They drop every Wednesday. Now, that's all I'm going to plug because we got to get to this week's show. It's Ryan Estes. He is the co-founder of KitCaster. He's a longtime podcaster. He's one of my favorite dudes to just chat with. And I'm thrilled to bring this episode to you. Episode 333 of the John of All Trades podcast with Ryan Estes starts right now. That's a good question. John, I really appreciate being on your podcast. As an OG Denver podcaster, your show is absolutely stunning in its like longevity and the quality and the guests and the energy you bring to the show. I just thank you for doing it, man. I think it's great. Sure. That's funny. And you didn't even answer my question. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. All I'm doing on Fridays is gratitude. So I'm beginning there. Okay, perfect. Um, That was was well played, sir. (laughs) No, Fridays for me, um, you know, there's like an idea of circadian rhythms, right? Right. Which is a little bit woo, but it's kind of like how you work and, and how you work in waves. And for me, um, as much as I wish I was hyper productive on Fridays, I've learned that <laughs> usually I torch myself during the week, mm-hmm. you know, and that Fridays is, is really tough 
cognitively and and task related stuff. So generally, I clear my schedule as best I can on a Friday and do more administrative tasks or cleaning. Um, I'm big on like gifts and thank you notes. So I'll like ship stuff. Um, I, I try and and just anticipate that my energy is going to be rather low on Fridays. Yeah. Okay. So you and I are very similar creatures in that way. I always treat Fridays as kind of a mop-up day where mm-hmm. there's like administrative tasks that I don't really, you know, feel jazzed about doing earlier in the week. There's something about early week administrative stuff that will just kill you where I try to use early in the week for more creative oriented projects. Like I find Tuesday is my best day to be creative and I don't know why that is, but do you have a best creativity day? Oh, that's, that's a good question. You know, I think um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is absolute go mode. I found Monday too. I like to have more, maybe, and maybe it's Monday for creativity. I like to have less on the agenda, but actually doing proactive work as opposed to reactive work. Whereas Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday ends up being kind of like just a, a, a firestorm of action, yeah. you know? So um, I'm definitely, it's tough too, because, you know, thinking about like productivity and creativity, when am I at my peak? When am I really awake? And it's usually like 1130 at night. Oh, geez. Really? Yeah. I'm, I'm just kind of a night owl. So like, I don't start like really waking up until at night, you know? So my days, I'm just kind of like struggling with my coffee and just trying to like slog through until 1130 and like, oh, ideas and all that stuff starts coming. So you know, I make note of that and come back to it. <laughs> Dude, that's too funny. I got a friend who wakes up at six and immediately starts writing because that's when he's best. And oh. he said by three in the afternoon, though, he's dead. He's cooked. Mm. He's done. And so he'll dedicate that to like gardening or doing something else where he's able to come down a little bit. Whereas I remember in grad school, I used to do my best writing between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m., which yeah. when I was doing when I was doing like big chunks of drafts. That's when I'd get them the bulk of the way there, and then I can tidy them up in the morning. So I relate to you, but God, how do you do that with kids, man? Because you have two kids, right? That's right. It was easy when they were younger because you put them to bed, and then I have my time to myself. You know, my wife is kind of that way too, where she like oh, yeah. she peeks out at three, so she goes to bed at nine. I've got my next four or five hours where I have my personal space. Okay, but my kid, my kids are teenagers now, so okay. you know, now they're up. Which is kind of cool because, you know, teenagers are generally grumpy all the time. But by 1130, I start feeling them jabbing me in the back and stuff. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Now we're happy. Now we're having a good time. So I end up like hanging out with my kids at night and, and talking about music and it, actually having like really quality time, at least in the summer. And then, you know, once yeah. they have to get up at seven o'clock again, then, then they're just always grumpy. Dude, okay. So my kids wake up with the damn sun, which they're six and seven. And yep. so we had to put an okay to wake clock in both their rooms and set it for 6.15 because that was the latest we could get them to stay in there. Wow. And, and, and the summer is even worse. So they're up. They're ready to go. They're, they're like Dickie Fox and Jerry Maguire. Like you clap your hands and be like, hey, what are we going to do today? Yeah. I remember that. Okay. It, it gets better. It does? You know, now. Yeah, oh, yeah. The summertime now, my kids, you know, they're sleeping past 10, which <laughs> – you know, I, I, I've, ha- I've gone through phases. I've been a morning guy and up and training and doing all that in the morning because that's where I found, like, my personal space. But now I'm kind of looking around the summer. I'm like, oh, we're sleeping until 10, 11 o'clock now? This, is this what's up? And so I've kind of adjusted back to my true core, which is, you know, I'm probably in eighth grade still emotionally <laughs> and mature-wise. So it's, it's fitting. It's fitting. I got gotcha. you. All right. So this is Ryan Estes. One of the co-founders of KitCaster and someone who every time I talk to you, I feel like we're picking back up after like 20 years of friendship. Like we just fall into a very easy rhythm and that's about the highest compliment I can give anyone. I, I noticed that too and I appreciate it. I mean, we have known each other for a while. A bit, yeah. But I mean, it's not like we, we intersect regularly either. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, I, I feel that too. We're, we're, we're brothers of the mile high. I think that's what it is. There's a Denver element that is binding. That's right. Are you native? I am. I'm I, from Denver, yeah. Yeah, I had forgotten that. Where'd you grow up? Um, South Denver. I went to South. I grew up okay. at like uh, uh, Iliff and Humboldt. I don't know if you know that neighborhood. Of course, yeah. No, I'm not Harvard far. Gulch. I'm not terribly far from there either. I'm at like Colfax and Monaco approximately now. Killer. Yeah, cool. so... Um, did you go to South with Melanie Yuli? 
Oh my gosh, I think I might have. That sounds very familiar. Is she is she have blonde hair? Yeah. Yeah, she's a fellow entrepreneur. She uh, runs Philanthropy Expert. She's awesome. Amazing. Tell her I said, what's up? And uh, she's like, who's that? I'm like, it was different Melanie that I knew. Okay. <laughs> yeah, don't even worry about it. I grew up in Golden, so I was uh, out in Jefferson County. But yeah, I, I mean, it might be the Denver vibe. I hear that from people who move here all the time, where they're like, people are just so friendly here, and like they're ready to hang out, and that's not the case. You know, you'll hear about like Minnesota Nice or the Seattle Freeze or... Like people on the East Coast are a little bit more standoffish, whatever, right? But people come to Denver, they're like, how is everyone so friendly here? Yeah, I think it's because we're halfway between like the South and California. So we get the <laughs> best aspects of both, you know, kind of laid back like California, but also like welcoming and familial like the South. Yeah. You know, I, I, I found that because I'm obviously if folks are listening to this outside of Denver, Denver's like this major magnet that like just draws unbelievable amounts of traffic all the time. So there's people from everywhere and not to pick on anybody, but the people that I kind of struggle to like really understand and get are like the Midwest people, yeah. you know, like they're just very flat and dry. I mean, wonderful people. I'm not, I'm not talking trash here, but there's definitely a different sensibility about those, these folks from Ohio. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I, I read this thing one time. It was snarky about Ohio and Indiana and it's like, you people know you can leave, right? And so, like, you don't have to stay there forever. But, I mean, some of them found their way here. But, you know, there's still some of that sensibility baked in, I suppose. Yeah, there's like an American stoicism to their personality that maybe I admire a little bit. That's, but That's pretty good, actually. American stoicism. I like that. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm reading a book right now called How to Be Perfect, and it's by comedy writer Michael Schur. And it's basically a book that helps you approach moral philosophy. And right now we're kind of talking about stoicism. We're talking about utilitarianism, all, all these kinds of things in there. And so I had stoicism on the brain. It was weird to hear it again right there. But cool. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. When we get together, it's, it's almost like there's a hive mind element to it. And you referred to me as an OG Denver podcaster. But man, you go back a long way, not only in podcasting, but in radio and in music, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, podcasting was actually kind of my easy transition out of music. Yeah. You know, because when I, my kids were little babies, you know, I'd been in kind of music industry 10 years and music business is not necessarily the uh, fulcrum of commerce, let's say. The hell you say. <laughs> so I, I left music in a rage and with a lot of bitterness and resentment. And, but I really found that I missed hanging out with my friends. Mm -hmm. And so I got into podcasting. I mean, in its very infant state back when you had to like, you had an iPod and you had to download it onto your computer, the, the episode, and you could only have so many episodes. You're always uploading and downloading. Yeah. These were the days when everyone's part-time job was ripping CDs <laughs> on their computer. Yep. So I started podcasting back then. Uh, I had the a podcast called eighth grade ball, which was just band practice without the music. And it was like the most fun I had ever had um, and never stopped. So, okay. <clears throat> when you're ripping CDs, was it you and I that talked about this? Cause I did your show and we'll get there uh, eventually here when we talk about talk launch, but mm -hmm. was it you and I that were talking about how I would rip episodes of Adam Carolla podcast or who has turned into a real piece of work. Or like uh, This American Life or WTF with Mark Marin, put them on CDs and then listen to them in my car that way. Did you and I, did we share that? I don't know if we talked about that, but I definitely did that. Okay, good. Yeah. Because I, I told that, I was a guest on a show just recently, and um, I was talking to the host about that, and it made me feel like I was about 100 years old. <laughs> because when you're describing to someone the fact that you burn an episode of a podcast onto one CD and then just listen to that and you have to change them out, it makes you sound either crazy or like you're yelling at clouds. Yeah, I, I know. Absolutely. It, it, it's like there was a time before smartphones. Like we all had flip phones yeah. and stuff. And I remember it was an iPhone 2 where the podcast app allowed you to stream it over 3G, I think, at the time, as opposed to download the episode. And I was like, oh, my God, like this is... That's game changing. Total game changer. Absolutely. Like in just one of the very minor ways that smartphones are game changers. But, but boy, that would, that made a huge difference to me. 
Yeah. You know, and particularly at this time in my life too, as I gave up music and I went and got a square job and it was in Superior, which is a suburb of Boulder. So I had like a, a 90 minute commute both ways. N- 90 minutes each way or 90 minutes total? Each way. Oh God, each man. Way. I, Jesus. Yeah. I was living in Lone Tree at the time. So I was going Lone Tree to Superior on banker's hours and it was, <laughs> it was death. I, like I had to have, you know, once, but once I found podcast. It was great. And then I started podcasting. I remember around this time, like Google voice came out, which was like, you know, it's like an extra phone number and you could record those calls. So I would do like, I would call my buddies and interview them and put that on the podcast. And I was having a great time, but it, and it was like absolutely critical because leaving music and having small children and transitioning my career and everything else, I was like, you know, I, I wouldn't say depressed, but like blue, you know, like yeah, I, yeah. I didn't, I was, I was kind of struggling with like, if I'm not a musician, like who am I? And, you know, it was a hard time and podcasting was just there to like comfort me. So I'm eternally grateful for, for the medium. Dude, I, I feel that in my bones because when I really got into podcast, so what year was that? They, they were kind of making that commute and, and getting your feet wet in podcasting. Uh, iPhone two, would that be like 2007, 2008? Okay. So man, you were early, early on here. Be- yeah. Okay, so it was about 2010 for me because I was working this job at this terrible energy drink that I just I hated everything about it and it was so loud and so stressful and so uh, pardon the pun here but caffeinated that on the weekends I would come home and I'd sit in front of my computer and I'd just like listen to an episode of This American Life or something. And mm-hmm. it really calmed me down, it really centered me and I go Okay, this is fantastic. This format, I adore this format. And it it was, I think, three years later that I actually formally started making my own show. And then I released it in 2014. But here's a question that you and I talked about in a different capacity. Because you actually interviewed me. Like, not on the record or anything, but for something that you're working on. Mm -hmm. And the question you asked me was, that I get all the time, is when should I monetize my podcast? And I tell many people, you're, be prepared for an answer you don't like, and that answer is never. Because in most cases, that's not going to be worth... The, the juice isn't going to be worth the squeeze for what you get for it. My question to you is, when did you realize you could turn podcasting into, if it's even just a cottage industry for yourself, or where you are now, building your whole life around it, when was that turning point for you when you realized it could be more than just a fun hobby? You, you know... um, the best way to monetize podcasts is a Trojan horse for goods or services that you can leverage the relationships you've got. What, what you know and what other folks know from interview-based podcasts is like there's a lot of trust built when you bring somebody onto your show. People have a lot of anxiety. Well, how's this going to go? What are they going to ask me? Am I going to be on the spot? Am I going to look like an idiot? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of big motions come up. And what I found is doing a, a interview-based podcast, um, my first interview-based podcast that wasn't just me and my buddies talking trash was called the Denver Business Podcast, and I'd bring on founders. And I saw that big emotion. And so I, I really felt that, you know, my main job was to, was to, like, bed down their fears as fast as possible, let them know that, like, I'm going to put you in the best light. Don't worry. We're going to have a good time. Um, so there's an incredible bond that's made, even if it's just over an hour. Yes. And at the time, you mentioned Talk Launch, which is how I renamed my podcast. But Talk Launch was my digital marketing agency. And so I bring on founders of business and pepper them with business questions, basically to find where their pain points were in their business. And then at the after the end of the show, I'm like, hey, you know, actually, funny you should know this, but like I can help you with like all of this, <laughs> all of these things that we went over. So, you know, over the years, I did the Denver Business Podcast for five years, transitioned it to Talk Launch was just more of a national focus for probably another five years. And, you know, when I really sat down and crunched the numbers, I could uh, attribute a million bucks in revenue directly from relationships made through my podcast. Okay, so not like through some CPM or CPA deal. But like this podcast introduced you to people and then that created a different kind of relationship. But it all goes back to this nexus point of meeting them on your podcast. Do I have that right? It's exactly it. You know, I made a little bit of scratch, too, from sponsors. Um, I think probably because I was so early that brands were like, whoa, what's this podcast? You know, I had pretty decent numbers. So I was sponsored by uh, Skinny Pop, that popcorn mm-hmm. company. I was uh, sponsored by Runa which is like a really cool kind of tea energy drink. 
and they pay me, but also they'd, they dump pallets of their products. So we always had like snacks and you, you know, could do like a good ad read for them. But also that the, the focus of that podcast was very commercial in its inception. Right. Um, one thing about I've become sensitive to is if you make something you love your job, then it, it kind of kills it. <laughs> it kills a certain part of it um, for you. So for folks that are like, hey, I really want to make this thing, you know, make it, uh, you know, lucrative for you. It's like, be aware that that it, it could hurt the thing that you really love about it, you yeah. know? Or at least at the very minimum change. That's that's a point that I think is underrated when you get into podcasting. And I always talk about this story where I was reviewing premium cable for a while for uh, examiner.com. Do you remember that like Phil Anschutz thing? They had like local branches and there was a national site. I was writing for the national site and I was doing it on the side and I grew to really hate watching TV. Where, like, you know, most people are doing that to unwind, and I turned it into this tiny little, like, side hustle for myself. And I'm like, what am I even doing? This sucks. And so, when it comes to podcasting, yeah, you do it because you love it. But when you turn it into something that you want, that you need, perhaps either you want or if you need it to make money for you, the calculus and the relationship changes. It is very tough. So, people will ask me frequently, I don't know if you get this one a lot, but. It's like, hey, uh, you're a podcaster. What podcast should I listen to? I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I know what's out there, but I also am not spending a ton of time listening to podcasts for pleasure just because it is my life. And I'm producing so many of these things that at the end of a day, when I have just spent so much of my week with big blocks of uninterrupted audio, kind of the way I don't want to unwind is with another big block of uninterrupted audio. Is that true for you? Yeah, that definitely tracks, you know, especially the first thing you said. I, I remember years and years ago, I was making beats on an MPC, and I'm a big jazz fan. And so, and I was kind of like, you know, come from the boom bap era yeah. where with jazz samples and stuff. And what I found when I started making beats, like with samples, is that I wasn't, I couldn't just listen to jazz. I couldn't listen to music anymore. I was like, ooh, that was a cool break. Like I was like dissecting it. <laughs> yeah. And I hated that. I was like, I'm not making beats anymore because I'm. it's ruining my appreciation for music, you know? So I, I think maybe like I'm adept at like knowing what is about the thing that I like and protecting that because I know it's mm. it's kind of, it's delicate. It, it is delicate. And I, I mean, the, the metaphor that comes to mind here for me is if you were turning something that you love into uh, a money-making pursuit for yourself you're gilding the lily at that point, quite literally. You're, you're taking sure. the beauty that you have and you're turning it into something else, which is also beautiful, but not the same kind of beauty that you experience. That's, that's actually really, really well stated. Yeah. So you've got Talk Launch going. Talk Launch is very successful. It's consistently iTunes Top 100. I was lucky enough to be a guest on it, and I found your interview style to be easygoing to the point where... After I left, I'm like, what did I even say? And it's it's sort of what you hear from people who guest on, and I'm going to flatter you with this compliment, uh, and great, I mean, amazingly, it's one I've gotten a handful of times myself, but it's what people say when they get off of uh, being on Stern. Because mm. Stern is such a skilled interviewer at getting interesting and, more importantly, unique things out of people. And yeah. so when I left, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I talked about on his show things I almost never talk about when it comes to my business. And if you ask people the right question, you will get absolutely fascinating stuff out of anyone. So my question to you is, did you have any sort of techniques or tricks that you would employ? Because I have my own. I got my own bag of tricks when I'm doing an interview. But did you have certain go-to things that you did to make that show as high quality as it was? Thanks for saying that. Um, I did, you know, and I, I, I really, what I like about conversation is I feel like it's something you can perfect. It's something that's never perfected, but it right. is something you can get much, much better at. And cutting through someone's persona and finding the real, like, emotional material is something that in normal conversation might be rude. But for a podcast, these are the things like I would I would probe and I'm looking for 
where's the emotional material? And then I would start poking at it. Um, that sounds kind of aggressive. Uh, the first basis you really have to do is create that sense of trust and you have to create the sense of caring. Like, you know, we're, we're going to be productive in this conversation, but I, I it, it might get a little uncomfortable, but it's okay. It's, it's safe for you. You know, I, I and we, we can back off if necessary, but I'm right. going to push until you, you do back off. So what's interesting about founders and, and business owners is the way you get to the real emotional material quick is going to money, you know? <laughs> so, so practicing, you know, like how to ask about people, ask people about money, how to ask people about their family without hedging. Um, Cause a lot of times what we'll, we can do is like, you know, Hey, what's your monthly recurring revenue? And then you're like, and if you don't want to tell me, that's cool. But if you do, or if it's a ballpark, like you immediately start filling the void of what is uncomfortable with about direct questions. Yeah. So practicing getting good at asking direct questioning, direct questions, and then shutting up. And then if, you know, if they don't want to talk about it, it's like, oh, that's cool. Why not? You know, what is it about <laughs> your relationship with money that you just don't want to say it? And so you, you you'll start eliciting re- reactions. Um, usually... They're not overly negative, but you could, it, it definitely brings the conversation to a new level. So I, I feel like uh, that's a skill that I can get better at and being a better journalist, quote unquote, or asking journalistic questions and trying to walk the line. I, you know, there was, you know, a dozen times or so I'd have people like kind of in tears and, you know, that uh, it isn't the goal, you know, but right. it's also like, okay, it's, it's just, you know, like I, I don't. I would feel bad if they're crying. <laughs> you <know>? um, <laughs> yeah, if but... you if you've unlocked <laughs> unintentionally unlocked this deep chest of pain, like yeah, which is always just at the surface. I mean, I'm a very sensitive person. You know, you open the wrong door, I'm be crying. Oh, I'm a crier so, too. You know, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's that wasn't the goal. It wasn't Oprah, but but that's just an example of sometimes big emotions. The result is tears and some anger, you know, it never really, people got really pissed at me. I don't think, but I I do like if I'm, if I am conscious of the person I'm interviewing time, but I'm also very conscious of of the audience and what they want and what my audience always wanted was numbers and they want to hear failure stories, you know? So if people come in super polished and just giving me their highlight reel, it's like, oh, we're going to pick that apart. Oh, dude. Oh, God. I can smell boilerplate coming a mile away. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, no, I kick them off their axis. And so it's funny. I mean, under the umbrella you have now with Kitcaster is your co-founder hosts a show called Hosted, where I was a guest on her show, and she asked me for my, my biggest tips. So, so she interviews other podcast hosts. And I said, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got it was from Chuck Klosterman, who I love reading. I don't know him personally, but I read this. He interviewed a lot of musicians and a lot of rock stars. And the thing is, when you're a young journalist, your temptation is to want them to like you, right? Or it's like, man, if I could be friends with this band or whatever, right? Uh, some of that is access journalism. Some of it is just it's cool to be friends with famous people. But he said when you go into an interview, don't go into it expecting to be friends. Your duty is to the interview and to the publication, and you need to get what you think your audience wants to know. And so present that to uh, whoever you're talking to, and then they can respond however they want, and then they kind of self-select who they choose to be in answering that question. And to me, that was always really, really useful. And so I, to your point, I'm not afraid of asking a direct question either. And I, I think about even just recently, I interviewed Connor McGahee, who was the, uh, the play-by-play guy for the Avs on the radio, and they just won the cup. Cool. And so the question I asked him, like, and Chuck Klosterman also said, he's like, I think of the question I'm least comfortable asking, and I tend to ask it pretty early. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. That, and I've, I've sort of followed that, and I said to him, I go, um, I don't want to put you in a tough spot here, but with your employer being blacked out on Comcast and one of the other providers here, do you think the fact that people can only consume this on the radio, has that elevated your profile? And so like that to me, Good question. I, th- <laughs> I thought so too. And he dutifully dodged it. He did, he did a great job of, <laughs> of evading it in a way that I would expect, but that's fine. And I wasn't going to push on that. Like I'm not having that kind of interview, right? That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. You have to decide what kind of interview you're doing with each guest. And so, but I'm like, I got to put it to him. 
Like, it would be a dereliction of duty if I got access to this and I didn't ask him that on behalf of every Avalanche fan everywhere. So Yeah. Do you love Crunky, bro? Crunky? <laughs> <laughs> no one cares about that. You. <laughs> I'll, I'll share a story. I, I guess there was one time where somebody got really upset with me and I, I had to pull a podcast. Um, I was interviewing the founder of Great Defied Brewery. Oh, sure. Um, he's a great guy, but they their their branding is very specific where they have these silhouettes it's this kind of silhouette wor- uh, world and they have a beer it's like a wheat ale called colette colette um the silhouette at first was like this kind of like beautiful woman silu- silhouette with a dress and like a pitchfork it really reminded me of like uh what was her name lucille in uh what was that paul newman movie oh um yeah i know what you're talking about he ate the eggs. Anyway, they, oh, they see uh, that Cool Hand Luke, yeah. Cool Hand Luke. And th- they see that gal, Lucille, washing the car and just driving these prisoners nuts. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's been a hot minute since I've seen that movie, but I remember that now, yeah. <laughs> Best movie of all time. Um, <laughs> Great movie. Anyway, it's a silhouette of this woman um, holding a pitchfork, and it was like Colette. She was Colette. Well, I noticed when he came on the show that the silhouette of Colette became less voluptuous, and now she had jeans on, and it was a, it, it was different. And so I was like, you know, hey, you know, why did you guys change the silhouette to of Colette? I was like, is is was it too risque? Like, is it not okay for women to be beautiful on beer cans? Wow. And I mean, I said it with a smile, but he was like kind of stammering, like, uh, uh, oh, you kind of flat-footed, wanna, huh? Yeah. Yeah, he did. He didn't want to talk about it, and so you know, we pivot and transition but afterwards like his people hit me up and, and he was pissed you know like why would you ask me that question but it's like well i mean you could just say yeah we thought it would work better if she was in jeans you know yeah Ooh, yeah that's that's right. not, so what <laughs> you know that's not that hard yeah it's yeah. not that hard a, a question i i agree with you but yeah I, pe- people get touchy about the weirdest things i i don't normally do this but i had i had one person just absolutely taking a blowtorch to their previous employer and just a, a total flamethrower. And I'm listening to this. I'm going, good God, like <coughs> this is, uh, and so they emailed me a couple of days later and they're like, uh, so, uh, I may have overstepped my bounds. And the, the reason I ultimately changed it, she's like, this could be libelous. And that was me just being really, really like upset with that. But I have no verification for some of these claims I made. Can you take that out? And I go, because there's a legal consideration there. Yes, I will. But otherwise, man, stand on your own two feet and, you know, know what you're doing when you're sort of in the moment. Like, I mean, I suppose that's a credit to me where you create a comfortable enough environment for someone to get to that level of ease to say whatever it is they want. But that also carries risk with it. It sure does. You know, I've had my wife has had issues with what I've said on podcasts reputationally for her. Like, Mm. hey, you know, you 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 kind of a, a loudmouth, blah, blah, blah. But there's some of these things that, like, I don't necessarily want people knowing these kind of opinions from my husband. Not that they're, like, radical opinions or any, by any stretch of the imagination. Right. But, but I mean, subject matter varies. And, like, I have always been free about it. When I'll just say it like this. There was a, there's a famous story about the Cheyenne dog soldiers that were traditionally camped north of Denver. You know, there was a strong Cheyenne population here for since the dawn of time. The dog soldiers are these like, you know, mythical warrior culture. And one thing that they would do, or, or maybe as legend has it, is if their encampment was being um, closed in on and it was kind of a hopeless battle, that they would pierce their skin to, with bone, tie rope to the bone and tie the rope to a stick and then bury it in the ground. Basically saying, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. I'm right here. Come get me. I always found that inspirational as uh, a musician and as an artist, particularly because I wanted to make really challenging music and I wanted to say things in my lyrics that I was like, man, my grandma's going to hear this. Yeah. You know? And so you you waffle as a creative, like how, what's the, what's the, 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 the balance sheet here of like cost benefit analysis. Um, but with that story, I found a certain strength that was like, no man, push it. You know, don't hurt anybody, but like you're you're free to, to speak your mind. You're free to do what you want, which I think has been productive for me. But I, I'm not going to lie. I have stepped back a little bit over the years out of respect for my wife, you know, because 
reputationally it's important to me what's important to her plus you know i want her to be friends with me still so (laughs) (laughs) well 100 percent. it it's one of those things where yeah you signed up to do all this but if if she's collateral damage she didn't necessarily sign up for that piece of it um so yeah there's that's a tough line and i mean i have that tension here because i think the people who know me professionally think i'm more conservative than i actually am the, yeah. the people who know me like socially and don't know me professionally, I think think I'm more liberal than I actually am. <laughs> That's funny. And so there, there's a tension there where if I'm doing an episode, I'm like, wow, how is this going to be received by either group? And I realized like one of my favorite maxims is just always keep them guessing, right? Never mm. let them see you coming. There's So Devil's Advocate, not a great movie. But one of the things I like is Al Pacino says they never see me coming and he's playing the devil. And, you know, he's just he's this little lawyer guy. And you go, uh, you're right. You wouldn't see that guy coming. And so I, I like keeping people on their toes. And it sounds like you share a very similar kind of energy. Absolutely. And I also know the potency of that and the potential for that people will crucify you for that. Literally, like Socrates, there's nothing more annoying than someone who's like, are you sure? Yeah, are you sure. What about this? What about this? What about this? You know, playing not necessarily devil's advocate, but like, you know, if you start to see cognitive biases in people or you start to see like lapses in logic and, you know, you're able to play both sides or at least steel man both sides of the argument, which I feel like is like good faith in any conversation that if I'm going to have a strong opinion, I'll also have a strong opinion on the opposing side. I can see both. Yeah. But that's dangerous. Well, Ryan, were, were you a high school debater? Because... That that comes directly from that, you know, only at late night parties talking shit. <laughs> OK, but if you do it competitively, so like if you do like a Lincoln Douglas debate or, you know, uh, CX debate or whatever, they will give you a topic and you have to prepare arguments for both sides. And so like these and these are real issues. These are like societal issues that you have to almost like role play this for. And you may be figuring out how to argue for an opinion that you don't even agree with. But that's valuable use of muscle. Like that's good muscle memory because it encourages you to be empathetic and it also encourages you to be a super critical thinker in every single way. So, I mean, if you can do that, then yeah, you can ask anyone anything and be able to have an intelligent conversation about that. I love that. Yeah. I did like uh, half my undergrad studying philosophy so I thought being an adult was discussing ideas intellectually. <laughs> I wish that was being an adult. Like, there, there's it's not. There's not enough of that, man. Like, I agree. No, no, nobody does that. I had a book club last night that I went to. That was an absolute blast because it 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 was that we're talking about ideas with people that aren't too sensitive to get back into a corner where the rationale is like, I don't like it. You know, and you're like, oh, great, but. But really, I mean, the the maturity level of American culture right now is really, it's it's nowhere near talking about ideas. Most of the conversations you have with people outside of a podcast are remember when stories and story topping, and <laughs> nothing there. There's nothing really interesting, unfortunately. Dude, I you will know. tell you, uh, you bringing up story topping. This is something I've been thinking about a lot um, because I. I've led what I think is a very interesting life and one I reflect on very fondly, but I have worked really hard when someone tells me a story, not to come over the top of them with a story of my own. I just want theirs to breathe and I want them to feel like it landed. And again, being a podcast host has really helped me with that because it's like I I can just listen and not feel compelled to be competitive with whatever it is they're talking about. I, that's incredibly insightful where so much, yeah, people are doing rounds and rounds of stories and they're getting not only like a little bit crazier, but more and more implausible. You go, I think there's some embellishment happening here and that's frustrating. This is really important to talk about. And I, I think it is because you're a podcaster that you become aware of that. And a lot of people just aren't aware that that's, that's all they're doing is they're waiting for you to s- stop talking so they can talk about when they were at Cozumel. You know, and it's okay. Like when I'm talking to people, that's, that's totally fine, but I'm similar to you. I want to be conscious of it, that when somebody tells me a story, I don't follow it with a a story that's a little bit better rather like using some of this, like 
journalistic training to like ask them a question about it, like go deeper into their story or riff on it a little bit and like have fun. And this is where like um, uh, conversation gets very playful, but also you like really create strong bonds in, you know, even with your friends and family, because everybody wants attention and everybody kind of feels competitive about what's happening in in that conversation that they need to say it so so a a great way for folks to learn how to endear themselves to people because people don't remember what you said people don't remember your story they just remember how you made them feel yeah you know so if you're constantly going into their stories oh really cool tell me about that how was that you know tell me more tell me more tell me more It, it brings out the best in people so you know as a practice i i try and do the same thing now i know i also tell stories all the time, but where I can, I'll, I'll kind of, before I'll say that, I'll be like, Hey, can I share a story? You know, and, the, and yeah. if they're like, sure, then, then now you're kind of like allowing a pause a little bit, or at least being aware that like, you just kind of like taking over what they just said, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're setting the table a little bit and you're, you're making an offer, which they can accept or refuse. And when they've accepted it, you're kind of on the same page where, it's like, okay, now it's my turn my turn to tell this story. It reminds me of one of my favorite movies is Pulp Fiction. And there's a deleted scene in it where Mia Wallace comes down the stairs. She's talking to Vincent Vega, and she's got a video camera on him. And she's just asking him all these inane questions, you know, are you an Elvis man or a Beatles man? And one of, the, one of his responses to her question, she asks him, do you listen or do you wait to talk? And he said, I wait to talk but I'm trying harder to listen. And I saw that movie for the first time when I was 14 or 15 years old, and I, I became such a Tarantino freak, like as many white teenage boys in America did who like loved film. That, that was such a game-changing movie, that and Reservoir Dogs in so many ways, that I was devouring even the deleted scenes, and I, that always landed with me because it's like, oh, yeah, don't just wait to talk. Like, and if you study argumentation, there is a principle called reloading where someone is making a point and they are trying to argue for a point the whole time you're listening to it you're using what they're talking about to refill your ammunition to shoot all that down that they just said and that to me is such a dangerous way of engaging with people and i hate that and i'm it, i'm not perfect at it but i'm working really hard to eradicate that from my own practice agreed me too and i have certain i think like senseis that I look to that navigate those waters really well. I think probably the the gold standard is like Sam Harris, Mm. you know, well, Sam Harris will reiterate what you just said. um, And by doing that, like you're, you're establishing that you're communicating like, uh, and then maybe even, you know, steel man a little bit like, Hey, this is it. And then as he wants to kind of debate or argue the point, the other person already knows that they clearly understand. He clearly understands his points, but then there's the nonverbal communication that he's right. excellent at, which is like being speaking softly, speaking slowly and clearly. There's not undue emotional uh, baggage into what he's saying, but that's largely because he studied rhetoric, you know? And so he's prepared for someone to say like, Hey, you know what? You're just using a lot of emotion. We're not arguing here. You're just overwhelming me with like your emotions. So this isn't, you know, it, it just unvalidates the argument as it is, you know, these radical or rhetorical elements in our media now, and this is me kind of like with an opinion are, you know, so unknown that nobody studies rhetoric. Nobody knows what kind of persuasive language or witchcraft is coming out of at any particular time that they just feel like the loudest screaming person has made the best point, right. you know? So it, it's it's intensely frustrating in terms of our national dialogue. And, yeah, I mean, you said you, you spent much of college studying philosophy and I have my master's degree in communication studies, which is rooted in rhetoric. So you end up reading a lot of the same people like everyone more or less kind of starts with Socrates and then goes to Plato and then goes to Aristotle. And then, you know, you'll branch off from there in rhetoric. You know, you'll go to Cicero and you'll go to Quintilian and you'll go to, you know, all these other folks. Whereas if you're going moral philosophy, you know, you're looking at, oh, you know, Jeremy Bentham or, you know, David Hume or whatever. And then, you know, you have your aesthetic philosophers. So you you take different branches, but it all kind of comes from the same place. And essentially what you're doing when you talk about philosophy is you are just understanding almost 
the epistemological and ontological ways in which you assimilate knowledge. And once you understand that, then it becomes easier to distill a point down to its essence. And what you're describing right now in terms of American communication is it's all so loud that when you have an understanding of the rhetorical traditions in which people are operating, it's easy to cut through all that window dressing and, and go, there's no there there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wonder how podcasting is contributing to this because the Greeks, I wish I would have just stayed at the Greeks. There's nothing, there's, there's <laughs> nothing else you need other than a classical education. They had it all. And then you can go, you know, be an app developer or whatever. Um, <laughs> but you know, Greece was an oratory culture and yeah. education system. Like they spoke the, the truth uh, and then they switched to an alphabet. So, you know, it's a lot easier to create arguments that are essentially logical and mathematical because it has to be written down and you can't use hyperbole and you can't use a lot of these things that if you're standing in front of an audience and your posture makes a big difference or how tall or attractive mm -hmm. you are or how you're holding your hands. It's like, now we have an alphabet. Now we're, we're putting things on paper. And so we have to make this tight because what's going to, to win quote unquote is the rationale that's presented. But now we have a, podcasting is a part of this, but social media and all these other things, it's oral again. Yeah. <clears throat> interesting. It's, it's visual where like now it is the consideration of like that maybe that person's right, but he's got an eye patch and walks with a limp. Like I can't listen to this guy. I need someone beautiful that's going to tell me the truth mm. because we're just, it's, it's built into us. Like the storytelling and, you know, fitness and different aspects is going to influence people's argument. You know, I would say it's to the detriment of our culture, <laughs> which is also why I like podcasting because thank God no one can see us. Right. You know, there, there's, there's a bit of an imagination thing happening. Uh, you, you said something that I pitch to clients all the time when they're like, we should add video to this. And I go, I would strongly encourage you not to add video unless you have a really good reason for doing so. Because when you engage people just auditorily, you are forcing them to engage their imagination in a way that they don't get to all the time. And that visual will rob them of. And yeah. if, if you're going to rob them of that, you better have a damn good reason for why you're doing that. Otherwise, let this thing land on people in a way that very few things anymore ever do, in a way yeah. that touches your soul and goes through your ears into your brain and forces you to paint a picture yourself, which doesn't happen all that often. I, you're, you're right. I, that's one of the reasons I love podcasting so much and why I've never done video for this show. Yeah. Well, it, you know, to, to piggyback on that, like visual, if you're looking at videos or you're watching a movie, the energy of your consciousness is going out. You're, you don't have the sensation of that the image is coming to you with our, uh, with our kind of visual field. We're always going out into the world, largely because it's a predation instinct. You know, we're mm. going into our visual field to grab food. Um, at least that's the kind of general consensus of it. Whereas something that's strictly audio, especially if you're listening to podcasts and headphones, you're not going out to hear it. The sound is in the center of your head. You know, it's, it's coming to you. Sound we understand comes to us. Our ears don't reach out. Um, so that also then becomes more of a, a welcoming thing as opposed to trying to go get it. Um, which I think benefits the medium and, and what makes it kind of magical. Wow. I could talk to you for a month of Sundays about this because we, we, we could talk <laughs> philosophy all day, but I would be derelict if I didn't at least ask you about Kitcaster because I've had the pleasure of working with your team at Kitcaster uh, on a number of fronts. So I've, I've worked with your agents. Uh, I've, I've had guests come through Kitcaster that have been on this show and They've all been really high quality and really fun. Um, the thing that is so amazing to me about it is I've, I've had people want to hire me, be like, hey, can you get me placed on podcasts? And I go, that's not really what I do, but here's who you should talk to. I, I, if you go to your website, you look at your team, you have built quite the team here. It's a large team, man. And give me kind of the, uh, the rundown, the elevator pitch for Kitcaster. And, and take me through a little bit of the journey with that. 
Absolutely. So Kitcaster is a podcast booking agency. So we book people on the world's top podcasts, like this one right here. Including this one. That's right. Thank you. That's right. That's absolutely. And and I know you're um, very humble, but statistically, you have one of the world's top podcasts. So we're very happy that you take uh, some of our guests, and I really appreciate it. Um, absolutely. Thank so, you. Anytime, dude. Yeah. So we statistically, or not statistically, we, all we do is book people on podcasts. And that was by design. Um, specifically, we work with funded startup founders, uh, entrepreneurs with exits, and C-suite executives. And that's all we do is we book these folks on podcasts. Typically, we're working with entrepreneurs because these are passionate people that have products that are, are solving problems. And so we help them get the word out through the podcasting as a medium. Um, Kitcaster, we've been around for three years. We were kind of born on the cusp of the pandemic and at that time, a lot of in-person podcasts went online, kind of like the way this one is, oh, yeah. which was was very beneficial for us because now it became commonplace for interviews to take place over Zoom or you know other tools. Um, so, Ryan, those, real quick, I hated sure. that when that happened. Like, I it, I you know because interviewing someone face to face is always preferable to doing it through an intermediary like this, but. Right. During the pandemic, I realized, oh, man, now, especially when we're all staying at home, I'm like, everyone's home, everyone's available, and everyone's bored. Like, mm -hmm. this is the time for podcasting. This is the time for podcasting. And so, ultimately, I would say it was a net gain, at least on that particular front. So, I just wanted to underline that, what you said. Totally. Yeah. So, March 2020, we're like, is this going to work? And it turns out it just blew up. Um, so, we've kind of grown our team to, you know, I think there's 23, 24 of us, um, you know, 15 booking agents. We have wow. three account executives um, and we're rolling. That's amazing. I often wonder with, with people who are successful in building things and they end up bringing team members underneath them. Like, so freak, so someone like me, I've never had a direct employee. I've never been responsible for someone else's rent. But um, I know a couple of other entrepreneurs who have scaled up now and they go, man, I worked myself back into a job. Do you ever have that feeling? Oh, man, I got two full-time jobs now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I knew what I was getting into. You know, okay. um, Before Kidcaster, you know, the projects I were working on were e-com projects and software projects. Lean and mean, like I want to outsource everything. Um, but as Brandy and I, who's a co-founder co of Kidcaster, and wonderful woman, she, like you said, she has her podcast hosted. When we are considering putting this thing together, we knew early on that like the way we scale this is butts and seats. And we're going to have to create a culture and we're going to have to hire people that, and we're gonna have to create jobs that they can do successfully. And it's, it's going to be very hands-on and, you know, kind of looking at that coming from the, the, the loneliness, maybe I was feeling a little bit of like doing it all on my own. I was like, okay, I, I'm ready for this, you know? Um, it was difficult for me, and I still struggle with the the, the being a boss. I've uh, I've had a lot of bad bosses, which has really informed the way um, I, I work. Um, but I knew that the leadership component was always there, and that like I'm very comfortable in a leadership role, and I I really wanted to create the job I always wanted. Um, so I kind of begin there of, you know, like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to hire a bunch of people and like, we're going to do our very best to support them and, and using different kind of infrastructure to do that. Well, I'll tell you what, cause I think you're a little bit older than I am, right? Probably a lot of bit. Okay. <laughs> I'm 44. Okay. I'm, I'm 40. So we're, <laughs> we're close, man. That that's interesting because I, I've had a lot, actually, most of my bosses weren't bad. I was just a pain in the ass employee. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm just, I'm very sort of um, defiant and insubordinate and I, I'm a huge pain in the ass, but I'm also good at paperwork, which makes me impossible to fire. So, <laughs> <laughs> so like a double pain in the ass, but like that, that sort of gives me hope because there are times where it's like, yeah, it can be lonely where, I mean, I'm called John of all trades for God's sakes to where I'm sort of the alpha and the omega of this business. And there's freedom in that, but it's also a lonely freedom. It's a very sort of you're wandering the West by yourself in a yeah. lot of ways, which again, lucrative, rewarding, but also sometimes you're like, wow, do I have to do everything alone? And 
That that's why I frequently end up subcontracting with larger firms. It's it's sometimes nice to be part of a team. Hundred percent, you know. And I think my desire from business, the way I approach the game, changed. Um, where I'm also very hands-on and I, I love to do everything. I'm a producer at heart. Um, and I'm so fortunate that I get to work with, with podcasting right now because it's such a passion of mine. But really, the, I'm, a, I'm a systems and process guy. You know, I like creating a game that works, that, you know, where everyone can score and everyone can win. And, you know, doing that by creating re- repeatable processes and finding something that somebody wants became really the focus, you know, podcasting kind of as a booking agency came out of that because it's like, oh, you know, people want to do this. So how do I create a a job for an agent that they can be successful at and do it over and over and over again? And, or how can I find prospects and bring them into our system and onboard them and make sure that they're good and retain that, you know, so creating the processes and systems is, is the stuff that really makes me excited. Um, and we're, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I interrupted you, but I just wanted to say when I met Brandy the first time, the thing that you just said, she echoed that you are very, very good at that. She said, I've never worked with anyone who is as good at taking a crazy idea that I have, or that one of our agents has and being like, okay, you know what? I'm going to build a process around that. And she said, you're better at that than anyone she's ever worked with. She's so sweet. (laughs) <laughs> well, and she has no reason to lie to me. Yeah. So, yeah. You, like, you know that's true. Um, I'm pretty good at it. I'm pretty good at it. And it's, I think, largely because I have a, a large, high amount of failure um, in my resume. <laughs> I, I haven't been deluded that success was like an overnight thing where it's like, oh, my God, look at how smart I am. And look at my great thing. Uh, that that can be a curse. You know, if your first thing is a home run out of the gate, oh man, it's going to be a tough road. You know, rather I've had to slog it out through my career and, and learn how to lose gracefully and understand deeply why it was my fault. (laughs) Dude, I I always, I always tell people the joy is actually in digging the ditch as counterintuitive as that is like, because so few people are willing to dig that ditch that if you can get out there and do it and put your spade in the earth and turn it over again and again and again, eventually you look back and everyone's like, how did you do that? It's like, I just kept digging, man. Okay. Just kept, I just kept digging. <sighs> like, yeah. Like what, yeah. what, what, what else is there? Like finding the joy in the work is the most important thing. And I, you seem to have achieved that because every time, I mean, we'll, we'll go like months or years without talking to each other. Every time I talk to you, you're into something new. And I mean, I even saw you guys up on the marquee at Lucha Libre and Laughs, which I'm like, awesome. Good for them, man. Like that's I just I like seeing this brand with this product that I love. <laughs> yeah. You know, a podcast booking agency, we sponsor local wrestling. Of course. Damn right. It's a perfect match. <laughs> I, of, I mean, obviously, like that's obviously it's peanut obviously. butter and chocolate. So. Uh, all right. Totally. Well, here's the time on the show, man, where we do plugs. Where can people find you? Where can they find KitCaster? Whatever you want to plug, it's all yours. You bet. Uh, if you're interested in going on podcasts, what we call a podcast tour, I'm very proud of what we built. We are the best podcast booking agency in the world. You can check it out at KitCaster.com. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can email me directly, Ryan at KitCaster.com. Go straight to me. I'm always happy to talk about anything podcasting. I uh, I love the medium for so many ways. And John, this is fantastic. I, I love the meta conversations, a podcast, talking about podcasting, about building podcast products. It just goes deeper and deeper and deeper and never ends. Well, so <laughs> it, it's very few people that you can actually do this with because yeah. like when you're talking, show, that's why I loved hosted so much. It's, it's because once you get into this world, there's a lot of depth and nuance to it that is sort of either impenetrable or uninteresting to your average person. Right. Yeah. But once you get together with someone who is involved in this, then all of a sudden the wheels start turning. You have great conversations. And so, yeah, I, I'm intensely grateful for it, too. But before we wrap up, I'll just say you can find Ryan's info at the, the companion blog piece. That's John of all trades or in the show notes, whether you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Audible, wherever you get your pods. I'm there. Uh, be sure to check that out. So, Ryan Estes, man, uh, I'm glad we got to do this on the record. I, I'm glad we got to switch roles, too, because I know you've interviewed me before, 
And uh, I look forward to whenever we cross paths next. And until then, man, I wish you nothing but continued success. You too, John. I really appreciate it. And that'll do it for episode 333 of the John of All Trades podcast with Ryan Estes, co-founder of Kitcaster. Great dude, right? What a fun chat. What a terrific product. Just whatever he does, I know he's going to be successful. So Ryan, thanks for taking the time. Always great to reconnect. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. They do all manner of PR. So if you're looking to communicate more, better, or just more effectively, hit me up. One of the ways in which we do that is podcasting. In addition to this show, I produce five others, and I can help you get your show going wherever it needs to be. You can drop me an email. It's john, J-O-N, at deftcom.us, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you communicate better on that platform. What platform? Pick one. Whether it's email, whether it's the web at large, whether it's social media, you're doing marketing, you're doing advertising, trying to reach people, 4Degrees can put together a strategy and then get your message in front of the people who need to see it most. They're phenomenal at what they do. Proud to plug them at number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Hit me up on social, J-O-A-T-Pod is the handle. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Episode previews are Facebook only. That's on Mondays. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. Pod catchers everywhere. I'm out of here for this week. I hope you're enjoying the summer. Very hot where I am. I'm sure it's hot where you are. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.